0: and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now, when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner saying, these last only worked one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to my new recording studio. (laughs) This is my son Isaac's room. Notice the beautiful guitars in the background. Uh, I figured I needed a place with better light after all these months. So there's better light up here, plus better background guitars. So let's do a two-minute roundup, because this one is a doozy. Okay, so this is a parable, and parables are made-up stories that contain deep, universal truths with many layers of meaning. In fact, as many layers as you want to go, a parable will take you. Some parables are simple and straightforward, like when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven Is like a treasure buried in a field. You find it, you sell everything you have. That's clearly something that is extraordinarily good, that once you find it, you're going to do anything you can to lay your hands on it. But then other parables like this one are confusing and complex and even disagreeable. Uh, And the problem for many of us, I think, at least those of us who grew up in the church, is that these parables are so familiar that it's easy to miss the point. So, at the very least, we should start with asking why Jesus is even telling this parable in the first place and who he told it to. So, the answer, luckily, comes pretty easily if you read the previous chapter. So, this comes from Matthew 19, verses 23 through 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it will be hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Interesting metaphor (laughs) than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, interestingly, they were greatly astounded and they said, Who then can be saved? Because there was a just great understanding back then, first century, that material blessings meant that you were blessed by God. So if you were rich, you were automatically blessed by God. And if you were poor, you were sort of cursed by God or doing something wrong. That was just the understanding. But Jesus looked at them and said, This for mortals, this is impossible, but for God, all things are possible. <laughs> Classic, confusing answer that helps nothing from Jesus. <laughs> Verse 27 Then Peter said in reply, Look, we've left everything and followed you, so what then will we have? So now we know why Jesus told this parable to his disciples. We also know that he was trying to answer two very difficult questions. Number one, who will be saved? Existential question. And then number two, a very human one. Peter asks, hey, we've given up everything to follow you and your way. So what's in it for us? If not riches, then what? So this parable is a parable of extravagant grace and also sharp judgment at the same time. And it's about the nature and character of a God who seems to think the word fair is a four-letter word. So let me restate the parable because it's been a few minutes and we've probably already forgotten it. (laughs) So it's harvest time. It's in the fall. And the owner of a large vineyard suddenly finds himself in a bind. He only has one day to harvest all of his grapes. Maybe the weather has been great, and now he sees that there's three straight weeks of rain coming, so it's go time. So he gets up early, heads to the town square at 6 a.m., and he finds a bunch of eager workers wanting a day's wage. He loads up the wagon, brings them all to the vineyard, and sets them to work. They agree to work for a day's wage. 12 hours they're going to work. So they get to work. But then at 9 a.m., he heads back down to the town square because he realizes he needs more workers. And uh, he finds some more workers. These aren't the most eager guys in the world, but man, they're up there by 9 a.m. They're going to work most of the day. So he says, hop in the wagon. Let's go. Puts them to work too. Does the same thing again at noon. Now he's only going to get a half day of work from these guys. But He needs all the help he can get. And then he goes back at three, only three hours left of the workday. But still, he's got a lot of grapes that need to get plucked and ready to go. And then, inexplicably, he goes again at 5 p.m. to see if there's any workers left. And he finds some. Now, you got to ask the question. And everyone listening to the parable in the first century would be asking the same question. What kind of loser workers are you going to find when there's only one hour of the workday left? Like, what have these guys been doing all day? Uh, These probably are not going to be your best workers. Regardless, the guy goes down, picks them up, puts them in the wagon, sets them to work. (laughs) All right? And now we get to the punchline. At the end of the workday, the whistle blows, the landowner decides to have some fun. So he decides to pay each of the workers a full day's wage, no matter how long they worked or how short they worked. And to make it even more fun, for him anyway, he decides to pay those who came last first. So we can assume that those workers that have only worked an hour realize they get a full day's wage and like they're like, I mean, it's party time, right? This is totally surprising. They never expected to get paid that much. And we can also expect that now the rest of the workers that are working in line go, whoa, 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 like they're getting a full day's pay. And especially we can assume, because it's right there in the text, that the workers that have worked all day, Now they're starting to think, well, if those losers who only worked an hour got paid a full day's wage, then dang it, uh, we're we're probably getting huge bonuses because we worked hard, we're worth our hire, and let's go. But then when they open up their cash envelopes and they only find what they agreed to do, which was a full day's wage, they grumble and they complain and they tell the landowner, this isn't fair. How dare you essentially pay those lazy workers who've only worked one hour the same wage as us, who have been breaking our backs all day for you? This is not cool. Now, before you get too hard on those workers, that's exactly how I would respond. And that's exactly how everyone would respond. It isn't fair that they would get the same wage as the people who hardly worked an hour. It is not fair at all. This is brutal. Like, this is not uh, a happy day uh, for those workers. And I think it's important to recognize that if this were you or me, uh, there's no way, like, there's no way, there's no way that we're going to be happy about this. There's no way that we're going to go, oh, that's so cool. Oh, my gosh, what a nice landowner. I'm so glad those guys that only worked one hour got paid the same wage as we did. Because, you know, hey, we agreed for a full day's wage and we got a full day's wage, so I'm happy. <laughs> no, no way that you respond that way and no way that I would respond that way. So Jesus puts us all in a very human situation. What do we do when we feel like we've earned more than the other guy, but we get the same amount? Whatever, Whether it's money or money, or whether it's treatment or whatever it is. What do we do? When we feel like we've earned more than the other guy but we get the same. Oof, we get mad, we complain just like the guys in the parable do. So no surprises there. But then what's interesting is how the landowner responds. Hey, he says, "Friend." And interesting in the in the Greek, the word for friend is a very unfriendly word for friend. It means like pfft. Uh, hey take what belongs to you the landowner says and go I choose to give this last the workers that that worked last the same as I give to you and that's up to me am I not allowed to do what I choose to do with what belongs to me or are you envious because I'm generous so the landowner said the last will be first and the first will be last Whew. so all play question You ready for it? Uh, Before attempting to find answers to this parable, what questions do you have about it? Before we attempt to find some answers and make some conclusions, what questions do you have for it? Why don't you use the Facebook comments in the watch party to answer? Okay. Oh, as always, I'm sure the answers that you gave, the questions that you gave, were amazing uh i think one of the questions i had is like how can we climb out of the tendency to try to make this into a moralistic teaching like like okay now so what we have to do now like i can interpret it as saying i just have to be happy if i don't get what i deserve and if other and if I, and if other people get what they don't deserve, like, I just need to be happy about that. And good Christians are, they don't make a big stink about it. Uh, right. And I feel like maybe that's a thin layer, surface layer, maybe, maybe, but I just know there's more. I know there's more. Um, another question I have is like, why does Jesus... So this is Jesus's answer to the disciples that say this very good, honest question. Like, Hey, we've given up everything to follow you. So like, what are we going to get out of it? I think it's tempting for us to look at that. and It's like, Whoa, like that's gravitas, right? I mean, that's kind of a kind of, Ooh, like who would ask that? But I think it's a very fair question. And I think it gets at the human question that most of us don't ask. Right. Most of us are too polite to ask that, but If you've ever been in any kind of a situation where you felt like you followed God into something new and didn't turn out the way that you thought, and in fact, it caused a whole lot more problems than you thought, and maybe it all crashed and burned, the human question really is, hey, God, I've given up everything to follow you. When is this thing going to start turning out? (laughs) You know, like my question about that is like, why do we hide that question down? Why are we afraid to ask God that question? Uh, When it's questions like that are all over the scriptures. Moses asks it all the time. In fact, in one of my favorite passages of all time in the scriptures, Numbers 11, read it. He's so tired of the children of Israel complaining. He's just exhausted. And he tells God, hey, have I given birth to these people? <laughs> he says, like, if you love me, kill me now rather than make me lead them more. <laughs> right. So there's this there's this biblical precedent for asking the honest question. But I think we hesitate to do it. Why? Why do we hesitate to ask the honest question? I think those questions need to be asked. It, it, it allows us to get to the deep matters. Right. So. Uh, When I was in 10th grade, my family lived in Belgium and we had moved there from California. So most of my friends were still in California. And for about six or eight weeks out of every summer, my parents would let me fly back to Los Angeles and spend six to eight weeks with this one family that, you know, graciously offered to keep me one of my best friends and my mom and dad would give me money. They would give me money for clothes to buy for the next school year. They would give me money for movies and eating out. And they would just give me sort of a pile of cash. And I was supposed to budget that money and it was supposed to last all summer. Well, one summer, um, in the middle of the summer, I met my family in Minnesota for a, a extended family reunion. And I had run out of money before I had bought any clothes. So I remember uh, my family was staying at an embassy suites, again, 10th grade. And I came up to my dad and I said, Dad, I've run out of money. Uh, I've you know, spent it all and I haven't gotten any clothes le- yet for the school year. So, you know, I need some more money. And my dad hardly ever got angry growing up and always very just circumspect in his reactions, almost always. There's just a few times where I could tell he got really angry. Well, that was one of those times. And what I said to my dad, I was upset because he said no. He goes, no, we gave you the money. We told you that it needed to last for the whole summer, including clothes. I'm not giving you any more money. And what I said to my dad in that moment was, dad, I wish you weren't so cheap. And the minute I said it, it's like I saw the word bubble come out of my mouth and I realized, oh, no, because my dad was the opposite. You know, like I didn't work for that money. He gave me that money and I was demanding more. And when he refused to give me more, even though I absolutely knew that I needed to have it stretch, um, I called him cheap. I complained. And the look in his eyes, I don't even remember what he said to me in that point. But after I said, dad, you're so cheap, the look in his eyes was a stern rebuke and a judgment that Steve, what you just said is out of bounds. And if you don't like what I've already, (laughs) if you don't appreciate what I've already given you, then go get a job. And um, my dad's reaction of stern judgment, here's the observation all these years later. It was harsh, but it was a huge gift to me because it made me suddenly realize how self-centered I was and how I had forgotten his generosity. Not only had I forgotten his generosity, I labeled him the opposite. I labeled him as being cheap unbelievable. Now in that moment, if my dad would have responded with like, okay, buddy, um, you know, it's okay. I'll give you some more money. Um, I know you need more money. Even though I treated him horribly, I would have learned nothing. I would have been able to continue to be a self-centered jerk. And I would have learned to, (laughs) my dog is barking outside the door, wants to come in. Let's see how this goes back to, um, back to the story. Uh, I, I, I would have not broken out of what I needed to break out of, which is seeing myself wrongly and seeing my dad wrongly, which would have led me to all kinds of problems in life. Right? So that was a time where a stern rebuke, a judgment was necessary. And this is one of the observations of this parable. Sometimes, even from God, when we are lost in a kind of blindness, we, the gracious thing for God to do is to give us a stern rebuke, like the landowner gave to the people who had worked all 12 hours. Now, again, they had worked all 12 hours and they received what they agreed to. And they complained because they didn't like how the others got treated. And that was a self-centered, self-absorbed, self-referential attitude that really goes against the principles of the kingdom of God. So it was time for us. The gracious gift was a stern rebuke. So I want you to wonder about like, there are times now I'm not talking about being like punishing with your words or mean or angry, but there are times where the gracious thing to do from God even to you is to receive a stern rebuke that'll hopefully guide us back into seeing the way we need to see. In fact, The most literal translation of how the landowner talks to the people is, is like, do you see my generosity with an evil and wicked eye, an eye of darkness, an eye that's blind, right? So sometimes we need a judgment like that. We need a sharp correction like that in order to help us see what we need to see, right? And I mean, there's just no way around that. So that's part of what this parable is. Now, there's another side to this parable, as we all know, that's about extravagant grace. And my older sister, um, she went through a time in her 20s where she was completely lost. She was living across the country and involved in things that were very destructive and dark. And we just kind of lost her for a couple of years. But then one day she really did hit bottom. She called my parents and said, would you please just come and get me? And without any hesitation, without any questions, without any, you know, assurances that she had changed her ways or anything, they rented a U-Haul. They drove across the country. They picked her up and they brought her home. And it took her a long time of healing to kind of get over that. But what, what, what struck me about that uh, was that in the time of great need, when she had hit rock bottom, and certainly there had been, you know, years and months of, like, not great communication and there's nothing she did that earned that trip down, down there to pick her up. But because of the extravagant love that my parents have for us and they're not perfect, but man, we know that they love us. Uh, We know that in those moments when we're at rock bottom, they will do anything in their power to come get us. And that's reckless, uh, radical generosity uh, that sometimes that's what you need and when you hit rock bottom and when you are feeling lonely and like you have no way out we find in this parable a god of surprising generosity who gives you what you don't what you have not earned and who surprises you with a full day's pay amen so back to the parable jesus seems to be saying that the only punishable offense in the kingdom of heaven is the addiction to bookkeeping, right? The insistence of proving why and how you've earned your place in the kingdom over and against those who have not earned their place. That's the only thing that is punishable, is if you insist on proving what, why you've earned your place and why someone else hasn't earned their place. That's the only punishable offense. God's accounting system seems to be As Robert Farrar Capon, this great author, says, uh, is the book of life. And then let me quote this from this book that he wrote. And in that book, the book of life, nothing stands against you. There are no debit entries that can keep you out of the clutches of the love that will not let you go. There's no minimum balance below which the grace that finagles all accounts will cancel your credit. And there's, of course, no need for you to show for you to show large large amounts of black ink of being in the plus uh, because the only auditor before whom you must finally stand before is the lamb, and he has gone deaf, dumb, and blind on the cross. Ugh, the last may be first, and the first may be last, but that's only for the fun of making the point. Everybody is on the payout line and everybody gets full pay. Nobody is kicked out who hasn't who wasn't already in. The only bruised backsides belong to those who insist on butting themselves into outer darkness. That's that's grace, right? The only book, the only punishable offense is a kind of bookkeeping that insists on putting yourself over and against someone else. Because you've earned it, and they haven't. Uh, Everybody gets full pay in the extravagant grace of God. And that's a head-scratcher, because if we really play that out, that is not fair. And it should maybe make us a little angry, if we're honest. Um, It should make us go, wait a minute, what? What? And yet Jesus seems to talk over and over and over and over again like that in the New Testament. This kingdom of God that has crashed into this here and now uh, does not exclude anyone. So how about some reflection questions for this week? As you read this parable, maybe again, as you sit with it. Question number one, in what, in what ways might you be caught trying to earn your place with God while also subtly condemning those who you don't think have earned it? In what ways might you be caught trying to earn your place with God? And in what ways are you maybe subtly condemning those who you don't think have earned it? Question number two. In what ways might you need to be curious about the god who is rascally and fun and marked by outrageous generosity and surprising endings. In what way might you need to get curious about the rascally fun side of God that's outrageously generous and loves to provide surprising endings to people who thought that they were done. (laughs) And then number three, uh, what is one tangible way this week? Just one small or big, that you can simply rest in God's goodness, wasting time with God for the sake of love and not to earn God's approval. Well, it's just one tangible way. You can simply rest in God's goodness over this next week, wasting time with God for the sake of love and not to earn God's approval. Amen. Amen. Endings are a place where life is remade.